Welcome to Success Secrets, the podcast where we dive into the inspiring stories of individuals who have overcome obstacles and achieved remarkable success in their professional lives. Join us as we sit down with entrepreneurs, executives, and trailblazers from diverse backgrounds who have broken down barriers and shattered glass ceilings. We explore their journeys, strategies, and insights and learn how they've navigated the challenges, persevered through setbacks, and reached their goals. Get ready to be inspired and empowered by the powerful stories of resilience, determination, and discover their secrets to success. We are excited to kick things off with our first ever season called Women in Fintech. In this captivating series, we will uncover the secrets to success from some of the most influential women in the fintech industry. I'm excited to introduce our special guest today, Nadia edwards Dusty, who is the co-founder of leading fintech recruitment firm Harrington Star. Nadia has blazed a trail in the fintech industry and has become a role model for entrepreneurs and business leaders everywhere. With her incredible story of success, she has proven that with hard work, determination, and innovation, anything is possible. Her book, Fintech Woman Walk the Talk, is a powerful testament to her commitment to gender equality in the workplace. We are thrilled to have her join us on the show today. Welcome to the show, Nadia. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such an honour and privilege, and what a lovely introduction. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's pretty easy to do because you're so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Nadia, uh, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you got interested in the fintech industry? Yeah, I would love to. Um, and I love telling the story because, you know what, no one really asks me. It's normally me asking other people. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I'm quite excited to, to share it because, you know, it was 2005. I was finishing my master's. Um, I went to um, a division within UCL called the School of Slavonic and East European Studies. Um, and I was like, right, what am I going to do? Like my options in front of me, um, my, my master's was in international relations. So my options in front of me, they, they, they were plentiful. But actually, when it came to it, I was like, wow, I'm not really someone who wants to sit sit down and continue doing research for the rest of my life. Um, and then another, a number of options were like unpaid internships for a year, which you know, it wasn't going to work for me and my, you know, family upbringing. Like I didn't have the luxury to do anything unpaid for a year. So um, I applied for loads of different things and I fell into the world of recruitment. When I say fell, like I really fell. Like I didn't know what interview I was going for. Um, someone prepared me and, and he was a rec to rec, so a recruiter that finds recruiter jobs, um, which I knew nothing of back then. He told me to say words such as candidate and client and canvassing. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. But somehow I went to this interview and did okay. I was given the opportunity to start in the world of recruitment. And it was by luck that it was technology recruitment. When I joined the world of technology recruitment that November, we very quickly moved into the realization that, and this is back in 2005, that if you were going to talk to companies with any sort of in-depth technologies, you've got to be talking to the world of finance. Now, this is one of the fascinating things of how the world's changed. Like You've got so many big tech companies that don't actually need to be associated with banking or any traditional finance methods. Um, but back then, 
if you really wanted to have investment into the technology side of a business, and it very much was the side of the business, you need to be in finance. So we focused all our efforts on there. So that was 2005. And, you know, the rest is kind of history because, you know, I, I was there for the 2000, 2008 um, problems when everyone, um, you know, the, the mass exodus um, and what happened in Canary Wharf and Lehman Brothers that day and the, the aftermath of that. Um, and then I was there to see, you know, what happened in the aftermath of the rise of fintechs, of what we know today as fintechs. Mm-hmm. And these companies were were fascinating to me because my first few years of the recruitment sector was that you hire someone that fits into this exact box. If they're not good enough, out the door they go. They should never ask what, what the job is actually going to be like because this is just about if they're good enough, not if the company is good enough. And that was very much the, what the world of work was like back in 2005, 2006. But by the time we got to you know, 2010, when we actually founded uh, Harrington Star, the world was changing and fintechs were a huge part of that world for me because suddenly I was talking to CEOs, directly talking to CEOs, founders of businesses, businesses that were challenging the status quo and wanting to say why their business was an excellent option for someone in their career. So for me, like the whole world of recruitment was just opened up to this just like world of opportunity and that's those are the companies I wanted to partner with because mm-hmm. I wanted to help them build their visions and dreams and alongside it have great people be able to build their careers and their visions and their dreams within that company. So for me, it was just a, a great sort of segue into this world. And I've just been fascinated and loved it ever since. Ups, downs, diagonal moves, it's all been opportunity, really. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And you've been in the industry for I didn't like it's super long uh so you must have experienced all the highs and lows and seen it evolve as well throughout the years and it's evolved so rapidly hasn't it oh so rapidly and and I think that's what I've I've really loved like a few years ago I wrote this article um which I called from basement to boardroom um and um and it was basically the evolution of the developer because in 2005 when i was placing developers into banks there you know there was sort of no no communication aspect of it there was no assessment of well let's um let's have a look at you know what is it that i'm supposed to be building you know what's the point of what i'm supposed to be building you know can i help um innovate what we should be building can i give you better solutions there was none of that it was here's a specification there you go uh, developer go and go and develop it and you know and really you know these developers were, were put in corners of offices they were told what to do and what I've absolutely loved is this sort of rise of of the technologist where technologists are in boardrooms that it isn't there's the tech team there's the business team the the business is the tech team tech mm-hmm. is the business team you know mm-hmm. we, we are one now and yeah. like as a recruiter having seen that change it's been it's been just so fascinating for me and just so exciting to to advocate for people because ultimately that is my calling in recruitment it took me years to be able to have the confidence to do it properly but my calling is i my job is to advocate for people mm-hmm. when someone says oh i'm not sure whether they're, the, they're quite the right fit right really understanding why not and are you, and do you mean right fit or do you think culture and are you making assumptions you know um and and i've really loved the fact that um when it comes to fintech in this ever changing world of financial technology it's not just what someone has done before 
It's actually what they're capable of doing next. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is the most exciting part of my job and why, why for me, inclusion and high performance are really interlinked. As, and getting those two things correct in your business then leads to longevity. And one of the consistent factors of the fintech world right now is the challenge around the skills gap, skills shortage, and the ability to hold on to staff. And so I find myself really in a position where I, I, I'm able to look at all these fast moving pieces and really help people try and solve them in each of their businesses and for themselves and their careers, which is, yeah, a great part of my job. Oh, I love that. And you sound so passionate about it as well, which is super important when you have your own business. And um, speaking of Harrington star, Nadia, I'm really interested in understanding how did you come up with the idea for your company and what inspired you to co-found your own business? Yeah, definitely. So um, it was uh, four of us that started the business back in 2010. Um, our CEO, Toby Babb, um, is really uh, like the, the brains behind it. Um, but all of us sat down and we worked out what we wanted to do to challenge the recruitment sector. So everybody will have had a bad recruitment experience. Everybody, when they think about going and speaking to a recruiter, whether they're hiring or whether they're looking for a job, there will be an element of trepidation because there is such a low bar to entry within within the sector. Um, it isn't a profession. Uh, there's no certifications, um, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lack of trust within the sector. So these are the problems that you know we we were really aware of. And when we set up the business, we said, well, how are we going to tackle these issues, and what can we do to really elevate what we are capable of doing as an industry? Because ultimately, when you look at some of the big problems that the world of fintech faces, skills gap uh, and shortages, um, uh, inability to retain talent, lack of inclusion, these are all things that are hindering businesses achieve their true successes. Um, if you know whatever ideas you may have, if you don't have the people and the the, the psychological safety in your team and the diversity of thought, you're, you're not going to get to where you want to get to. Um, and so for us, we were like, if we can solve some of these problems, then really we can we can put ourselves into a very unique position. And one of the biggest things that always happens in recruitment is the question. What makes you different to the next recruiter? And this is a question that my first five years of recruitment, I'd kind of sit there and I'd struggle to answer apart from the answer being me. I care. I won't lie to you. I won't do anything. And what we wanted to do was, how do you build it bigger than me? How do you make it the infrastructure of a business? And this is where we decided the foundation was that we wanted to add value to people when they weren't hiring and when they weren't looking for work. So our whole methodology of recruitment and networking and building out our relationships is all about um, our marketing. So, you know, no one will have missed this, but we produce magazines three times a year um, called The Financial Technologist. The last one was downloaded over 16,000 times. In every magazine, we feature 20-plus financial technology leaders talking about their businesses or themes within the industry. We celebrate. We raise the profile of the industry. We talk about best practice. And people follow us because we're talking about how you improve your business. What are the newest technologies? What are the the newest challenges that we should all be collaborating to overcome? On top of that, our CEO, Toby, has a video blogging series called Fintech Focus TV. So he interviews, um, he does 40-minute interviews 
with leaders across the space about their business. I have my podcast, The DEI Discussions, where I'm talking to, I've talked to over 300 leaders in financial technology about inclusion and not just gender or not just um, talking about disability or not just talking about neurodivergence, we're talking about all elements and growing elements of what inclusion actually means. So people are therefore gaining knowledge from us and our platform that we've built so that we can actually say, this is what we want to do to help the industry be better. We want to showcase this best practice. And then Mm -hmm. as a byproduct, we are we are then in touch with people for when they need to recruit or when they need to move jobs or what I think is really interesting, when they're not sure how to ask for a pay rise or a promotion. We mm-hmm. are now building a whole suite of tools to help people stay in their company, which a lot of people, this blows a lot of people's minds because they're like, what? You're recruited, surely you want people to be moving. Well, actually, no, if we can have people progressing in their jobs, we've got Mm -hmm. more of a chance of really building up this industry. And there's enough Mm -hmm. companies growing in this industry without us needing to keep moving people from one fintech company to another. How about we bring in this wealth of talent from external sources? That's what we're interested in. So to bring it back to the question, this is what we this is what we ideated back in 2010, you know, when diversity wasn't even a word, when mm-hmm. inclusion wasn't on the agenda, when video blogging, blogging wasn't even a thing. You know, we said, like, what can we do? How can we be different? And we started off with events, um, a newsletter. You know, we basically were making it up as we went along, but we were like, what would be of interest? We asked people, what are your problems? How can we solve them? That was our MO. And it's worked super well. We've now got a business of 65 people, London, Belfast, and New York. They are each true specialists within their field. So like any one consultant will only work on one very specific technology or sales skill set. And and that is bolstered by our whole infrastructure of supporting brands and Mm -hmm. building out engagement. So when companies talk about what is their employee value proposition, that's what we're here for. We can help you build that out. And I don't think that was ever a consideration for recruitment before. So I'm really proud of how we've we've sort of come up with this because it was literally four of us in a room going, okay, what do we do? <laughs> you know? Oh, I love that. And it's so amazing to see how much you've come from 2010 when you first started to where you are now. Like you're a big company, I would say. And you've you've created such an impact within the fintech industry already. I would say you're at the forefront of diversity and inclusion here. You are creating change. And I think that's really amazing. And your business and your passion shows and it shows how how you've created such a successful business as well because you're so passionate about creating change within the industry. It's it doesn't feel like work to you. It feels like you are creating change. You're helping other people and you're making a good impact, right? Yeah. And that's really rewarding. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's something that, um, you know, our, the, the, the founders and, and actually I think all of us in the business are really, we talk about this all the time, like what's your passion? Like, you know, when, when, when a day is hard and the day is long, like you need that passion to keep you through all that motivation or something that, that is really, you know, key to who you are. And that whole advocacy piece, I may not have called it advocacy years ago, you know, before the word has become a a commonly used word, but that's what it really is for me. It's about making sure that companies are properly 
They're, they're representing themselves in their best possible form. And also people when applying um, are doing the exact same. And, you know, it's a much, it's much more easily said than done. So I think, you know, in the world of recruitment, we've got so much. I talk about recruitment being a responsibility. No one ever spoke about this before. Recruitment is a responsibility. But I think it is because, you know, if we, we've got some huge problems in the world of fintech, people problems, ideation problems, making sure that we are really at that forefront of innovation. And also, um, when we think about like the global hubs of fintech, there's there's bigger picture things that we need to be thinking about. Visas, world of work, flexible working, hybrid working, supporting career changes, caregivers, um, people uh, returning from breaks, whatever it may be. There's a lots of factor in here. And these are the things that um, are very easy for companies when they've got their goal of what they want to do. Very easy for them to put some of these things on the back burner, thinking they'll get to it. And now imagine if your recruitment partner can be the one that's really driving that for you, making it easy for you to hire inclusively. That to me, the minute I got that clear in my mind, my responsibility is to make it easy for you to hire in an inclusive manner and then build upon those people's skill sets fairly. Like that to me, like if I can make that easy for for the industry, then I'm making such a huge change to it. Definitely. So that's really exciting for me. Amazing. I love that. I love that so much. And it's in the benefit for these fintech companies to have diversity and inclusion within their business because the proof is there with more diverse people within your company, you're going to, there's statistics that show that your revenue will increase. You you can outperform your competition. So if you want to win in business, if you want to outperform your competition, you need to have a diverse team and you're going to get different perspectives from other people and it's it's it just makes more sense but, uh, from a business perspective doesn't it yeah absolutely and it's um i'm so pleased you said that because there's been multiple reports you you go on to uh, any any organization credible organization that produce reports on this ey mckinsey whoever it may be there is so there's so much data out there the more inclusive but also not just diverse because a lot of companies think when you say inclusive it means diverse more inclusive your business, the more likely you're going to have better business outcomes. Now, a lot of companies go, okay, so we need to increase our diversity of people without thinking we need to increase our diversity of thought. We need to increase our psychological safety. So these people from many different backgrounds who are all very different to one another feel that they can communicate with one another in a position of safety where they won't be rebutted, talked over, told that they're wrong, but actually able to ideate and share opinion. And like that to me, I find that that's often the disconnect that we see. Like people go, okay, I know this is good, but oh, it just seems a little bit too hard or I can't find the people or, you know, there's, there's barrier upon barrier. And this is what I get very fascinated about is how can I reduce those barriers for people mm-hmm. um, as, as as a partner to them, but also showcase how other people are doing it. So that's that's been very much my method. Rather than me being the thought leader, I, I love to showcase thought leaders in the business, in the industry and say, look, this is what the, this company's doing. This is what this individual's done. This is what's worked. I love giving evidence examples and case studies. And that's something that I actually, when I, when I go and mentor, when I do talks, I always say in, in any walk of life, in any career, if you are trying to explain something to someone, giving evidence examples and case studies over your opinion is actually the best way of doing it. And 
you know, as a mm. recruiter, I've always been on the back foot because of the the reputation of the industry. So I've actually trained myself, like you constantly showcase best practice through other people, which is why I've I've done as much as I have done on the podcast, because nothing is more powerful than showing people, look at all these women that work in FinTech. Mm. Don't tell me love they that. don't exist. Here they are. There's 320 <laughs> of them. You know? I love that. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. so true as well. We're here and we deserve it. Yeah. We deserve to have equal rights within the business and equal opportunities, right? It's we're more than capable and deserving as anyone else. That's what I, uh, and I truly believe that. Um, speaking of mentorship, uh, Nadia, um, I wanted to ask, what role do you think mentorship and networking play in the success of women entrepreneurs and also women in fintech? Yeah, um, so really, really excited to answer this. So I think um, mentorship is is super, super important. Um, there's been a recent example that I wanted to share of um, upward mentoring um, and uh, a company won an award for this. And essentially what they did is all the, the new females in the business were partnered with the most senior C-level members of the business that all happened to be older men of a certain de- demographic. Mm-hmm. And the mentoring was for the the of most likely younger women new to the industry to basically tell the old blokes what it felt like to be a young woman in this space. Oh, and wow. I thought that was super, super amazing. Like That's super so amazing. good. That's very empowering, actually. Right? Because yes. actually, like that is how like we're gonna change business. So a lot of people think mentoring is like downwards, like, mm. oh, let me teach you something so that you can learn from me the experience. But but what do we define as experience? It's not years, it's your experience, right? So actually, like looking at it from that point of view, it just reframes what we mean by mentoring because I think there is an over-reliance on the word of mentoring and training, and companies often feel, oh, we've got a mentoring program for our for our young women tick we've done inclusion when actually what bothers me is mentoring on its own is not enough and also it kind of leads people to have this subconscious belief that women need to be mentored what about the young men don't they need to be mentored as well but also my, my point on this is sometimes we've mentored women enough and now we need to change the system so I constantly talk about confidence. And um, there's a, an amazing woman called Caroline Hughes. She's the CEO of a company called LifeTies. And when I spoke to her about confidence, she she said, we've got to reframe confidence. And I love what she said, and I repeat it all the time. She says, I'm confident, thank you, but you're not confident in me. And this is something I have repeated a hundred times over Because when it comes to us talking about mentoring women, the first thing that people will say, or or one of the top three things will be, oh, we need to help them get more confidence. Yes, that's true. But it's not just women suddenly being confident in their abilities. It's actually women feeling confident that in those around them, that those people will be confident in them. Because one thing I am confident in is that most people listening to this when everything gets boiled down, they will be more confident in my male counterpart doing my job than me doing my job. And we all have to be really honest with ourselves on that because we have all been brought up, wherever we have been brought up in the world, we've most likely been brought up in a society where we 
over overvalue our male our male counterparts and undervalue our female counterparts. We have different standards for people. We often hear of oh this female manager she did this wrong. We are so much more accepting of bad male managers than we are female managers. And the answer often is oh mentoring and training when actually I think it's about us looking at the system. So what I loved about this question is just I wanted people to think bigger mentoring is amazing training is amazing please let's continue let's do as much of it as possible but then how much further can we take it the networking piece is something I think is absolutely central when I first started in 2005 there was no network for me unless I wanted to go to the pub with the lads and learn to talk about football. Um, and that was that was the same as, as all the, the, the male uh, hiring managers, because they were all male hiring managers back then, um, because I, I was placing technologists into finance. So they, it was very rare that I ever saw, saw another woman. Um, and, you know, for me, like, I found it very awkward doing the networking. Mm, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't have anything to, to contribute unless I started learning about, you know, football or, you know, and there was um, one one guy, he's retired now, Ma- Martin Walters from back then, it was Tullet Prepon, now part of, you know, T- TPI Cap and Next. And he, he actually sat down with me and taught me the exact um, stages um, of it at an exchange. And he explained to me exactly what they were doing, moving from voice trading to electronic trading, which then ended up us placing 100 people there to, um, to help them build these electronic trading systems. But that, to me, that was like a really awkward, like for me, like a networking exchange that this guy sat me down and said, let me tell you something. And he, you know, and he taught, taught me something. So even back then when it was so difficult, the words weren't networking. It was, you know, come out, come out, have a drink, be one of the lads. But actually, like I was able to gain so much. So nowadays we've got meetups. We've got a much more diverse community of people encouraged and wanting to do more networking. Grab it with both hands at whatever seniority. I think it's so important because it's all excuses to learn about other people's experiences. So I, I'm big on events. I go to them all the time. I want to talk at them. I love to get other people talking at them. Um, and I love the networking piece because you just never know who you're going to meet and what they'll be able to do for you in your career. So true. So true. I love that. And such such a lot of a lot of pearls of wisdom in there. <laughs> really good information. And speaking of networking and careers, what advice would you give to, uh, for example, a woman who's just starting out in their career in fintech? Um, what advice could you give them? Yeah. Um, so I thought about this one. And um, I think the best bit of advice is to create um, that network, but have it spread out and outside of your business. And the reason being is because I think like um, this whole concept of finding your tribe, your tribe doesn't need to be right there in your business doing, doing the same problems and trying to solve the same things together. In fact, having people from outside the business that may have solved similar problems or dealt with different challenges, but they can share that with you and you can learn off them. I think that's super important. And I think when we talk about networking, the first thing people do is, oh, I better know people in my business. Well, what about people in your com- competing businesses? What about people at traditional financial companies or or the new decentralized stuff? Like mm-hmm. their experience is is really really important to get that. And another thing I would say is 
people from totally outside the industry. So your pals, talk to them about their jobs and business. So my absolute best friend in the world, she is in the fitness industry. And the challenges that I face in board meetings and when I go and pitch to big to big or small or growing companies um, to use us, the challenges that I face as a woman in doing that, she faces exactly the same. And, you know, you'd think my job and her job are totally different, right? But we face the same challenges. And what that does for me, just emotionally and being able to tackle things and get through those challenges and overcome them is fantastic. So, yeah, in short, talk, keep talking, build a network, build out a tribe. Perfect. I love it. It's basically putting yourself out there, meeting new people, getting your confidence, getting new perspectives. And it doesn't have to necessarily be within the company. It can be your competition at networking events. It doesn't necessarily even have to be in the industry as long as you're creating those connections and building relationships. And I think you're on a good path to building your career in a good level. And speaking of... of um, for women in fintech, um, what you mentioned that you faced same challenges as someone else that you that one of your friends. Could you talk to us about some of the challenges that you have faced in business and how you've overcome them? Yeah, um, I think I think it's um, it's pretty constant, um, and I always talk about um, a state of mind. Um, I call it the fintech state of mind. Um, but actually I think it's in, it's in any business where you kind of just got to relish in those challenges and, and actually the, the opportunity is in the solution of those challenges. Um, but also that you're learning every time. So I don't know if you're similar to me, but you know, when like you wish you'd said something, Mm-hmm. Like, oh god I, if, if I could only have that interaction again I would have said this yeah well the great news in my role is that I'm gonna have that interaction again because it's gonna come <laughs> around again and again and again so what I've done is rather than and I do struggle with this but rather than uh, beat myself up on how I should have dealt with something I think about how I will deal with it next and and actually what I work very hard on is now um trying to explain to, to people why that's not acceptable or or raise their awareness of their own unconscious bias and, and insecurities. So, you know, where, wherever we go in life and whatever we're doing, we know that as a society there are there are vast uh, inequalities. We know that. We know that there's a number of reasons for that. So we can't expect that. Even at the best company out there, we can't expect it to not be there. The sort of challenges I'm talking about, is I question sometimes when I haven't been when I haven't been successful in a pitch, I question why all the information that came my way was less than what um, a male counterpart got. Like, was I set up to fail? Mm-hmm. I, and you know, a number of years ago, I would have I would have just blame myself. Oh, I failed that. I didn't do that. But now I'm able, with all my experience and with listening to all the experience of the people in my network, I'm able to look at it a little bit more clearly. Um, you know, what was I given, you know, fair information and how can I make sure that I get that next time? Was I spoken over? Was Did my idea uh, get ignored because it was me that pitched it? And what I've done is I've really like worked hard at clarity of my message, uh, which I hope has come across okay in this because I've, you know, worked hard on it. Um, <laughs> repetition of my message and then actually taking the fear factor away from calling people out. So, you know, s- simple things um, over... Uh, being asked to leave a room because I haven't booked it. 
and I and I'm the one that's getting asked to do that rather than a male counterpart in another room. Mm-hmm. Why was it easier to move me? <laughs> really yeah. tiny, tiny thing. But I'm I'm getting people to think about this because um, something that Kate Bond said. So Kate Bond, huge name in the industry, very senior position now at Macquarie Bank. But in my book, I quoted her for saying that um, if you're not treated well as a woman within the industry, it's often death by a thousand paper cuts. So this is what I think is the biggest challenge of being uh, being a woman or being marginalized, part of a marginalized community mm-hmm. or minority community within this space, that we're often made to think it's our problem, that the challenges that we face, the not getting listened to, uh, uh, vo- you know, voice not getting heard, um, objections not landing, um, ideas not being attributed to us, all of this is around like the attribution of credit. And, and we are made to think that when you put your hand up and say, hold on a second, that's not fair, that we're making a problem when actually the problem's already there. And this whole concept of death by a thousand paper cuts, how do we how do we really take hold of that? How do we stop this? How do we stop these paper cuts happening? It's hard work. And so for me, even the hard work is the challenge now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am committing to it. And every day I feel like I'm stepping further forward by bringing somebody else into the fold because I know I'm going to be underestimated in my next external meeting that I have. I know that. Why is that? Because I'm starting, I'm not starting on a level playing field. I know it. Mm -hmm. So what I now do is I make sure that that pitch, that information is that much better. And I really hone in on how I can be absolutely spot on. And now I'm working on really investigating when I feel like messages aren't landing, slowing things down. And I trialed this in board meetings internally where I slow things down and say, hey, I can see that message hasn't landed. Can you talk me through what's going on in your mind there? That's Mm -hmm. taken me years to have the confidence to do that. But I think this is how we handle our challenges because they're going to be there for a while. We can't change people overnight. Yeah, exactly. And it takes time, but it's it's great to learn from you and to, for you to share your story as well. And speaking of business, what would you say are, are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned since starting in 2010? Um, biggest lessons, I think it's just, um, for me, it's that I've, I've just got to keep going. Um, and I am not going to be at everybody's cup of tea. This mm-hmm. was the biggest lesson I learned. So I love for that. me, for me, like... For years, I was thinking, cool, you know, what did I do wrong with this client? What did I do wrong with that client? And it was actually one of the other co-founders, James Hounslow. He said to me, Nads, you've got to let this go. There was this one client that I actually hadn't made the mistake, but he just wanted to blame me for everything. And I was distraught. You know, I really took it to heart. This was years ago. And, um, you know, and he said to me, Nads, you've got to let this go. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And once I just accepted that I found this new level of peace and this level of peace has actually given me confidence to do as much as I do for inclusion within this sector and raising awareness of topics in this sector that a lot of people wouldn't have the confidence to talk about for fear for being held back in their career but because I can now say do you know what there are some people out there that just are not going to get this and they're probably not the demographic that I want to be trying to help right now if they're going to be in the in the category of calling me um all the words that I'm not going to repeat yeah. on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know <laughs> like if, if that's the case we're gonna we're gonna be okay and and I just thought to myself right I've got a piece there and it's actually that piece 
with that has given me confidence elsewhere. Um, and that, that took years. I love that. And it's so nice. And I totally agree. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And that, that exact saying I've taken into my own career as well. I know not, not everyone's going to like me and that's okay. As long as I'm being my authentic self, then that's all that really matters. And the people that I am meant to work with, they can like, then I'll work with them. Like, those are the ones that I'd rather work with anyway. Yeah. And um, I also feel like in business, people get along with other like different types of people as well. So for example, within my business, sometimes what we'll do is if there's a client that's not, that hasn't got along with someone on a call, a few months later, we'll pass that lead on to someone else and, and then they'll end up closing them. So it's just, yeah, not, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea and that's totally fine. And, and it's business at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, as long as you're your authentic self, then that's all that really matters, I think. Yeah, totally agree. Cool. And I also want to know, like, what's next for you in business? Because I know you're doing amazing things. And yeah, I'd love to know, like, what are you most excited about uh, at Harrington Star? Like, what's next for you guys? Um, so we're doing lots of work in growing in the States, which I am super excited about because from the inclusion point of view, there is so much to be done. Um, oh, wow. You know, like I'm I'm really, really excited about what I can do for my um, my gender equality programs over there. But that in itself, like that's such a big, like, you know, maternity over there is is totally, totally different to what we it's are ridiculous. used to. How much is it? Two weeks or something yeah, like that? It's, it's you know, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, what we, and we've got some amazing standards um, over here in Europe, you know, Scandinavia, like it's like, incredible. And then, you know, in, in the UK, in our sector, we are getting lots better, getting mm-hmm. loads better. So like, you know, the average that I'm seeing in our sector is four months fully paid. And for me to be able to say that over in the States, I'm really, really excited about the impact because, you know, when something is needs a lot of work, it means that actually you're in, when you start that work, you'll feel the impact really quickly. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. Um, we've recently released um, the beginnings of a video series that I've been producing for a while Ooh. now, where I've been interviewing people across the sector mm-hmm. Um answering some of the big questions and I've called it the advocate series where you oh, yes, I've seen advocate that. for yourself oh you've seen it great yeah, great yeah yeah so you're learning to advocate for yourself but also for others because in all of my podcasts the 320 I've recorded um the three things that come up all the time uh, unfair pay unfair promotion and unfair recognition and all of them are connected, you know, because if you're not promoted, you, you're probably not going to get a pay rise. If you're not recognized properly, you're not going to get promoted or get that pay rise. But these three things keep coming up and up. So what I did is I've interviewed three different people per topic um, where they are saying how best to ask for promotion, how best to make sure you're recognized fairly, even if you're not in the office, um, even if you're a fully remote worker, how do you ensure that you get recognized? But also, how do you as a boss improve your skills to fairly recognize your staff? How do you make sure you're promoting the right people, not just the vocal people? And I'm super excited about it because at first I thought this Advocate series would be just a standalone three series with three, um, I call them three advocates per episode. But I've had so much interest on it that I'm now thinking it's going to turn into an index with more and more people from the industry 
contributing to the best way of asking for a pay rise, the best way of having having your voice heard. And imagine if if people joining our industry go, right, I'm not sure how to ask for this. And suddenly they just see a whole index of 20, 30 um, experts in the fintech space saying, this is how you best represent yourself. So I'm super excited about that. I could feel it. Like I can feel your energy and it's making me feel inspired and motivated as well. I I love your energy. I have to say it's exciting. And I can see how passionate you are about creating change in this industry. And you've already made a huge impact already. And and I can just tell that that's what your purpose is. um, And that's, that's what you're meant to do. And that's, and that's how you're going to create change as well, by loving what you do and creating impact and creating change. And, And I love to see it. Um, okay, before we wrap up, I have a couple of other questions. Um, if you could give your your twenty year old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, this is um. Uh, so I had I had a couple on this because actually I get a little bit emotional, but like uh-huh. like you are enough. Like I'll probably I start to go now, but like <laughs> that is you know quite that's a big one. But also I watched um. I watched something on Instagram with Tom Hanks uh, where he was talking to a number of different actors and they were all laughing around this table. But what he was saying is uh, the phrase, this too shall pass. And I think that that's really important, like for me and my journey. Like I've had some really, really difficult times. Um, Personality-wise, like having to go out there and introduce myself to new people and pitch for business. This is not my, my typical personality. I mm. personality trait, like I'm an introvert. I, you know, I, I should probably, you know, be, be painting on my own in a room or something, <laughs> you know, but like out there in front of people, it's been very, very tasking for me, but like this too shall pass, I think is such a great, a great like lesson that I wish someone had said to me, like these hard times, they won't be as hard. You keep practicing this, you'll, you'll get better at it. And and you will then become confident in it, you know, like knowing that the difficult times will pass. But also, I think um, what I loved about what Tom Hanks said, which I think is good for everybody, is even at your heights, this too shall pass. So mm. remember, like who you are. Oh, I love that. Um, so I think that's lovely. But um, yeah, I wanted to mention the Tom Hanks thing. But I know, I know it's probably cliche. But yeah, like you are enough. It's oh, something that is I so love important. that, and I think when you're young at that age, you you just you definitely lack the confidence and just knowing to yourself that you are enough and you are capable, and it will get better. And I think that's I, I love that. Oh. That's really nice. And the last question that I wanted to ask you, and I think this is super important, especially as entrepreneurs, how do you balance the demands of running a successful company with your personal life and self care? I think for me, like this has always been a struggle. Um, before I had children, I worked like long hours, like really long hours. Um, seven in the morning, I'd get into the office and I'd often be there eight, nine o'clock at night, uh, Monday to Friday, and then I'd be in the pub after that. Wow. Um, uh, and and like, that's how I that's how I dealt with it. But it's because I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. And I was always really passionate about it. And I wanted to I wanted to build um, independence into my life. I've always wanted to have choices and I wanted to make those choices. And I think you have to work for you have to work really hard for that. And that was something I was very committed to. And the minute I had my kids, I realized I can't get in for seven because I've got to drop them off at the nursery at 7:30. And I'm the one and I want to pick my kids up every single day. I, I feel like I'm not with them all day. So I want to pick them up. So I don't have the luxury of being there till eight or nine o'clock at night. 
So I've learned, I really, really learned the word productivity. I have learned that so much. Like my whole desk is now completely paperless because wow. I went, when I had my first, my firstborn, I had her on a sling at week three and I was doing podcasts with her on a sling. And that's oh what goodness. I learned. I can't have my laptop, my phone, my baby and a pen and paper, pen and paper got to go. Right. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it was, um, you know, I say it facetiously, but like it was a really big like learning curve of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And and for me, like that balance, like I now do things that like I'd never done before. Like I, I will meditate like on the tube. I will have um, meditation playing in my ears. Whenever mm-hmm. I can get 10 minutes, I will do that to ground myself. Mm-hmm. But I've got to say, like my experience of um, having children and the patience involved with trying to get children to sleep at night has taught me so much about thinking through things properly and making sure that when you are with whoever you're with in your life or when you're when you've got your time on your own you do that to the absolute fullest when Mm -hmm. you're in the office you do that to the absolute fullest so Mm -hmm. I often have people in the office saying oh you're, you're all right yeah I am I'm just busy I'm like boom into this and then when I'm when I'm uh, wanting to talk to those in in the team and all that, boom, I'm into that. Like I'm very, like it's very, like productivity is so important to me now. And I never, I always knew I worked hard. I knew I could be uh, working smarter. I wasn't exactly sure how. Um, And I think that just just knowing that whatever you're doing, it's to bring you to your, your best self and looking after yourself will get you better in your mm-hmm. in whatever your business may be and before kids I never got that right I, I basically worked myself to the ground I didn't give myself any break I didn't I didn't give myself any thinking time mm-hmm. whereas now I've really learned that but I was forced to learn that and if someone could have helped me before this you know before a, a force to learn it that would have been great for my career so I, I definitely would say to everyone take a second pause like even meditate think about what yeah. you actually want to be doing and what you're doing it for oh I love that and I, I love meditation as well because I feel like it really helps to clear my mind especially if you you're getting so many emails so many inquiries yeah. and yeah meditation just helps to clear it and then you can think better and, and then you perform come up better. the best ideas afterwards yeah like, yeah 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 you could be sitting there racking your brains for 10 hours, not giving yourself a break. You could have 10 minutes meditation and within the next hour, boom, something has come to yeah. your mind that you never expected. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I love to do when I started doing a lot is going for long walks. So like on nice. the beach or through nature. And I find it's just so beautiful with no distra- no phone, no distractions and just walking, like really yeah. taking it in and living in the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's that. really nice. Yeah, lovely. Well, we're just coming to the end of this podcast, and I've just got a, f- a few fire questions. Um, favorite book? Uh, Invisible Women by uh, mm-hmm. Caroline Criado Perez. Amazing. Uh, favorite food? Um, so you may not know this, it's called Match Boost. <laughs> Um, so it's the national dish of Bahrain. Um, ah. My dad's Bahraini, and so yeah, I always say to him, "Please cook me, but much boost." It's it's basically Ooh, like an Arabic biryani. It's mm, the best. that sounds really good, mm. making me hungry now. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite quote? Um, I'd say uh, I think it's Henry Ford. Uh, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're going to be right. Oh, I have to show you this. This one, right? Oh yes, I love it. <laughs> 
Nice. It's my favourite too. Yeah. yeah. I keep it on my desk. Yeah. Love that quote. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah, so it's true. So like if you can't believe in yourself, well then how can you convince anybody else? Yeah, exactly. It's the belief in yourself is so important. And I love mm. that. Uh, it's so funny. It's the same as, I love how yeah, I have it on that. my desk as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, most inspiring person? Um, I would say, uh, so Stella Creasy, um, so she's an MP and I, I literally love her. Um, so, uh, in the pandemic, she had a baby around the same time that I did. And, um, you know, whilst I was doing pods with, with baby in a sling on me, she was taking baby into parliament and wow. like, she even had to deal with, you know, you can imagine like, um, you know, th- that lot down there telling her like, oh, is this professional having it? Well, and she was like, what do you want me to do? Like, it's the pandemic. Like, yeah. like w- what, should I just, you know, erase myself? Like, I mean, yeah. come on. It's um, human. Yeah. And I, that to me was just so inspiring. Everything that she does for, you know, being vocal about women, career women, I think is, is just fantastic. So, yeah, truly really inspiring. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on as a guest. Um, really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Success Secrets. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Nadia, a true visionary in the fintech industry. And remember, success is within, within reach for anyone with the drive and determination to pursue it. Until next time, and for now, keep striving for success.